Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Priesthood Dispatches. He's the man. <laughs> it's awesome, funny, random, doesn't make any sense, but it's good. Hi everyone, welcome back to the channel. What a week it's been in Mormondom and the UK. We've had a massive heat wave and it's like we've never seen the sun before. Uh, in Mormonism, we've got a new picture of Joseph Smith, apparently, that we're going to have a look at in a moment. But also with us this evening here on the show, we have um, a unknown character who goes by the name of Mormon Flesh Wound, found on the lesser spotted TikTok. And I'm going to bring him in right now. Um, he is currently un unmasked, so he will remain unmasked this evening. So if you are from the Strengthening Church Members Committee and you have come here this evening in order to catch him, unlucky on your bike. Uh, Mormon Fleshoon, welcome. Hey, uh, you know, I'm sure those guys already know who I am. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you think but yeah, happy to be here. Awesome. No, I, I've been watching your stuff for a little while on TikTok. Uh, and the ex-Mormon TikTok, for anyone who's not been there, is amazing and awful and cringeworthy all at the same time. But some of Mormon Flesh Wounds, or MFW, as we'll call you this evening, some of your stuff is more thought-provoking and then at the same time, funny. So thank you for being here this evening. We're going to go through some of those TikTok videos. I did have trouble curating uh, because there's just so many good ones. If I was to put together um, a display in a museum, there would not be a museum big enough because I would have literally everything in there. Um, but we'll see what we get through. Yeah, great. Okay, well, if we just pull up the slides, um, let's go back to the beginning first because um, I think... Ooh, Okay, um, so before we get there, Mormon Flesh Wounds, um, I know who you are because I am lucky and I know that you are a physician, but can you tell us a little bit more without giving the game away um, about yourself? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm um, um, not really too unique in Mormondom. I mean, I am a seventh generation Mormon on my dad's side. My mom was a convert. So I was born and raised in church, baptized at eight, got my Eagle Scout, went on a mission, went to BYU, temple marriage, kids. Um, uh, I was a, a bishop for a little while. Um, so it's, I, I, did, I did the Mormon thing um, my yeah. whole life and in the thick of it, know the ins and outs, know the culture. And... Um, and so in leaving the church, that was the process. And it's been very, fairly recent. So I'm still, still fresh and, and pretty raw. Uh, luckily, well, my wife was the first one out and she kind of pulled me out kicking and screaming. Well, first her and then the kids, most of the kids, I, we have four kids and my oldest daughter is still in. And so that's, that's pretty rough, but the other three kids are out. And I was the last, I was the, the stubborn one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I'm still staying anonymous. That's kind of my deal. Maybe I have a overinflated sense of self-importance or 
maybe I'm just chicken. I don't know, but it's going to, I'll probably come out at some point. I've come out to a few people, of course, but it hasn't always gone, gone too well. So no, I think, I think the fact that people end up remaining anonymous um, is purely uh, a reflection of the church's kind of, it's almost like, you know, the Stasi or whatever. You have to, you have to have this anonymity in order to protect yourself from the spiritual assassination, you know, that they'll, they'll come knocking on the door wanting to drag you kicking and screaming to a court of love. Absolutely. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, we're going to move on slightly and we were just talking about this. Let's take a look. Okay. So last night it all kind of blew up on all the ex-Mormon pages about this Daguerre type from 1842 to 1844, they reckon. It was an early type of photography um, that was on metal. Uh, using chemicals. It was one of the first types of photography. And the image on the right there is said to be Joseph Smith, um, taken from just before, a couple of years previous to his death. And the image on the left, obviously, is the idealized version on the church website of this lovely, young-looking, you know, inspiring uh, young man. So I just thought the contrast there is quite interesting and a lot of the ex-mormon community and non-brighamite community are saying yes it's him a lot of tbms are saying no it's not him because it doesn't look quite as inspiring um how are you with that mfw you know to me he just looks like some guy in a big truck that would cut me off on the freeway <laughs> yes <laughs> so yeah i can see yeah not inspiring he's just a regular guy he looks like a kind of a rough pioneerish guy and it could be you know who knows I, I think over the next few weeks this is going to be scrutinized they're going to check into how they verified this so it'll be interesting to see how this all pans out yeah you were saying that your wife had, had looked up or, or looked at where this picture came from can you tell us a little yeah. more about that yeah, she looked up an article on uh i guess uh, some family who were um in community of Christ, I think maybe some some descendants had this locket, and over COVID, they decided to pry it open. They found this, and in the course of this verification, they looked back at family photos of people who were related to Joseph Smith and saw people wearing this locket that they had. So uh, that's the story from her from uh, the article she read. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Yeah. I can I can see it going the way of a lot of the others where it just turns out that it's not some people have already overlaid the death mask and different things like that and said you know this is too wide or this is too narrow or his, his hair was parted in the opposite direction um mm -hmm. but I think with photography back then a lot of things got reversed so who knows if that's you know what I mean like the yeah and with the image mask, I, I kind of wonder about those i mean i don't know if it's an actual imprint of the face but after someone dies you get some atrophy get some fluid loss so it's going to change a little bit of the soft tissues in the face um some people have said the death mask is not actually a mold of the face but actually just it's sort of kind of a uh some kind of reconstruction so i don't know how those are made but it doesn't sound like an exact science no um well 
we'll see. I'm sure over the coming months it will either be proven and it'll end up on the front of the Leahona or it won't and we'll never see it again. Um, <laughs> but for this evening, we won't see it again. So um, before we move on to your TikTok videos, everyone who is watching out there in the world, we want to get 200 likes on this video because that will help the YouTube algorithm realize that other ex-Mormons might want to watch this video and it will suggest them to them. So, Elisa Galen, or Galleon, it looks like Jeffrey Epstein. People have already put it next to Jeffrey Epstein um, as if it was his grandfather. So, you are not alone in that one. <laughs> okay, looking here, on the left-hand side, we've got the logo for Mormon Flesh Wound. Can you take us through that? Yeah, my... Uh daughter actually drew this for me so growing growing up i watched a bunch of monty python and in the beginning of my faith transition uh, i just thought about that famous scene of the black knight in holy grail where yeah. king arthur's just lopping off limbs and to me that seemed like the mormon church getting all this stuff thrown at them all these book of mormon anachronisms Gospel topics essays came out, Book of Abraham's, just all this stuff kept on getting thrown at them. It's just like lopping off limbs. And it was just the whole time just denying that anything was wrong at all. And uh, and so that's where the Mormon flesh wound thing came came from. And I actually, uh, Maven from uh, the Who Works with Mormonism Live, she actually commented that in her faith transition, she felt like she was more like the black knight like all this stuff got thrown at her lopping off limbs and she was just in denial the whole time and that's probably a a, a better comparison but uh that's the uh the genesis of that name and, and the logo yeah i think it's amazing like we all come out um with different parts of us missing especially leaving the church because i think they grow so much kind of onto us you know Oh, they yeah. graft they graft so many of their teachings and attitudes in that yeah it can be awful to come away from it because you lose so much on the way out you know, it, it runs deeps and no one gets out unscathed yeah yeah no absolutely um so i've just put a poll up in um the chat for anyone that's out there asking about tiktok and if you've watched Mormon flesh wound on TikTok if you've not, but you're going to, or if you just don't do TikTok, because I know some people aren't happy with the Chinese being in their phone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you take a look at that, we're going to take a look at the first video of the night. This one was a banned video, uh, one that MFW put up and TikTok banned, because clearly someone got upset um, with it somewhere along the way. But what you'll see already is the analytical mind at work in the way that MFW kind of takes the church into some of its constituent parts and shows you quickly where they may have come from because everything in life really is just a remix. Here we go. So 
the Mormon church is not true. It claims to be Jesus's original church that has been restored to the earth, but that is absolutely false. The Mormon church is more like a big buffet. It's a big mishmash of a bunch of different doctrines and philosophies thrown in all together. And here's some examples of uh, some of the origins. For example, early Christian heresies, starting with the Gnostics. They believed in a special knowledge passed on from Jesus, kind of like the secret temple endowment. Uh, Novatus, uh, apostates were never absolved and you know, kind of like Mormon outer darkness. Arianism, father and son, separate beings, not equal. Um, Kyleism, uh, they believed in the literal thousand year reign of Jesus. They got some stuff from Catholicism, like papal infallibility. Uh, Pope Gregory the Seventh in 1075 said this: "The Roman Church never erred, nor will it err for all eternity." But then you go on, and in 1773, Pope Clement the Fourteenth condemned the Jesuits. But then in 1814, Pope Pius the Seventh favored the Jesuits. So some contradiction there, and you see that in the Church, they claim basically. They claim infallibility. Like Wilford Woodruff said, the Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of this church to lead you astray. But over and over, there are all kinds of contradictions amongst the prophets, all the time contradicting each other in claiming to be basically infallible. Uh, all the stuff from Protestantism. Uh, the Puritans believed in a covenant relationship with God and the elect saints being blessed. Uh, Quakers received direct revelation from God, and they had a unique worship service where all the members can kind of come in and say what they want, like a Mormon, or a Mormon testimony meeting. During the Radical Reformation, you see this concept of a great apostasy, and all these restored churches were popping up. And the Revivalist Movement, emphasizing this one-time emotional conversion with supernatural confirmations, and also emphasized... Christ's uh, imminent return. He's coming at any time. Then there's the big occult uh, influence like seer stones and talismans and fortune telling, strong occult things. Uh, the Masons. Now you can go on and on about the influence of the Masons and Mormonism. Then there's the American ultra conservatism, uh, talking about the inferior, inferiority of dark skinned people, opposition to equal rights, even gardening. That was a sign of U.S. patriotism in the 1940s, but all of these things were passed off as revelation. So, yes, it's not the original church. They want to say that they are more like this, Jesus' original church, when in actuality, the Mormon church is more like this. So, the Mormon church... Wow. That last image, let me just uh, try and get back to that last image that you put together. <laughs> Yeah, and, and this is where I can kind of put in a disclaimer. I am not a historian. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a biblical scholar. I don't have any credentials at all. The only thing I can do is use Google. And this was, you know, a lot of this, you know, I just looked up. And even this picture, I just got this off of Google and then threw some words on it. But, um, yeah, I just had to throw that out there. That And, and I welcome any kind of questioning. People that want to fact check. I'm very much open to it. I want to know if I'm wrong about anything. I don't want to put any false information out there. But uh, but yeah, with this video, I don't know why it was banned. It it may have been yeah, some TBM didn't didn't like it. But um, for me, yeah, looking back at the church and looking back and reading my scriptures, it's 
the, the LDS church is very obviously, for the most part, 18th century American Protestantism. Yeah. For the, the vast majority of it. Mixed in with all this other fun stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was reading this week. Um, oh, who, who gave it to me? I remember him. Doug Vincent sent me um, some information this week. And I can't remember the exact quote. If anyone wants to push me on it, I will find it and send it to you. But it was basically that the Methodists did the second anointing before Joseph did. Hmm, um, and that it wasn't called the second anointing. It was called the second blessing. But it didn't have all the Masonic stuff. But the, the idea was the same. You've made it. If you know what I mean, you get the second mm -hmm. blessing and you've you've made it in this life. Um, and I think it went to something called perfectionism. But yeah, it's it's just crazy how it can be taken apart into its basic parts. Oh and... yeah, and yeah, especially that whole revivalist thing in in the U.S. where they relied on a like a one-time emotional spiritual conversion experience. And, you know, that's what we taught as missionaries go out and, and pray about it and have that one time conversion experience and boom, you know, it's true. And yeah. actually my wife and I were talking about that. You know, they always in the church, they always talk about, you know, you shouldn't seek a sign and sign seeking is bad. That's the sign of an adulterous <sighs> uh, generation, but that's exactly what we're teaching people to do. Go seek for a sign, go tempt God. So that's, that's a little bit of a contradiction right there too, but missionaries teach it. Yeah. And uh, sorry, Debbie Joe, she definitely doesn't want to sit on that creature. Um, no, I did. It. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty uh, epic that creature. Okay. So we're going to look now, this is one of your most popular videos uh, with over a hundred thousand uh, views on it. And I think everyone will see why. So we're going to go through quite a, I guess, a, a logical um, route through this show. And we're going to start with the leadership and the church, and then we're going to move on to some of the teachings and some of the money and different things, because as you've already seen in that first video, MFW does a really good job of putting things in black and white so that we can see it. And yeah, it's just there. You can make up your own mind. So let's see. Uh, what he had to say about the Mormon leadership and their biographies. And there is one mistake in this video. Oh, my apologies. Let's, let's hear it. No, no, it's, uh, we can wait till after, but I just wanted to let you know there is one mistake and maybe someone will catch it, but just one. Okay. Okay. When I decided the LDS church was really just a business, I decided to take a closer look at the leadership. I looked through all the bios of all the U.S. born upper level general authorities. What I found was that over 70% of these men were lawyers or high-ranking businessmen, five with Harvard MBAs, and they're CEOs and not small business owners. I also found six physicians, three educators, but zero theologians, scriptorians, historians, zero psychologists, counselors, or sociologists, but there was one professional football player. Also, there's a bit of nepotism I won't go too much into, but I found that Elder Rasmand and Elder Holland both have sons in the first quorum of the 70. Now, does this look like a church concerned for the world's spiritual well-being? The Mormon general authorities really are just managers of a business empire. Okay, yeah, I totally agree with you. Are you going to tell us the mistake? Did so, anyone yeah, spot yeah. it? 
when I talked about nepotism, so Holland has a son who's in first quorum, but Rasband doesn't. So, but there is a Rasband in there. So he is related somehow. I, I, I don't remember how someone commented. I think it was like a, maybe a nephew or, or something like that. Or so he's not a son, but still we're, we can talk about the nepotism late. A lot of people have talked about nepotism and in church leadership, but that was one thing I'll be the first to admit. I made a mistake on that, but the rest of it is completely true. Um, I actually, you know, I was leaving, I, I left the church and I didn't have anything to do. I didn't have a calling anymore. I was executive when secretary. I the so church freed up a lot of time. So I went through all the bios one by one and just started ticking things off on, um, what these people did for a living. And I did only choose us based cause I don't know anything about educational systems in Africa or South America. And yeah, it turns out, yeah, they're all a bunch of attorneys and high ranking businessmen. Yeah. Isn't and, it, um, isn't it funny how there's no like theologians or philosophers or people who've dedicated their life to the study of the scriptures? Uh, absolutely. I mean, they had jobs. They were, and when you're an attorney or these CEOs, most of their time is with their job. And then they have families. I don't think they had that much time for scripture study or learning how to counsel people really well and who are going through problems. But <clears throat> anyway, and I know Peter Bleakley was kind of torqued that there are no artists in the mix either. Yeah, no. And I think because they're so busy having their full-time job to make their millions and then they're only making their millions because in the evenings they're being righteous and they don't really have that time to really commit themselves to the study of the gospel in the way that possibly you know um, other religions do where they have full-time paid ministry then the the message they need a correlation department because sometimes i swear they don't know what they're talking about Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're just still primary Mormons who knew the right guy. Um, well, there's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to find out now that you've done a, a nepotism video in two parts. So let's take a look at part one. Let's talk a little bit about nepotism in the Mormon church. I'm not going to talk about just about family relationships, but other connections. There are so many examples. I'm going to show some pictures that you can read over that won't correlate with what I'm saying. But how about we start out with some examples. First, Elder Oaks was a, direct, or was a descendant of Martin Harris, one of the three witnesses. Elder Iring was the nephew of President Kimball. His son is president of BYU-Idaho and also a 70. He's also uh, first cousins once removed from Michigan Governor George Romney, who is the father of Mitt Romney, the presidential candidate. Elder Ballard was the grandson of two apostles, one of whom was Hiram Smith, the brother of Joseph Smith. Uh, he has a daughter who is married to Peter Huntsman, the son of billionaire John Huntsman Sr., and brother of John Huntsman Jr., former U.S. ambassador and governor of Utah. So what happens when there's nepotism in a church? First, it creates a people who are insular and self-referential. They're insulated from outside scrutiny and opinion. They have allegiances to each other. Um, and it's human nature to favor your own family. And there's the appearance of being unfair. Um, there are also, you can see in this picture coming up, of what happens when there's favoritism in a church where the leadership uh, is, of course, white, having uh, authority over the African uh, leadership. 
Uh, how about some more examples? There is Elder Holland, who is mission companions with Elder Cook of the Twelve. His son is in the first quorum of the Seventy, the previous president of Utah Valley University. Elder Cook is the great-grandson of Apostle Heber C. Kimball. Elder Christofferson's mission president was Elder Scott. Elder Gay was the managing director of Bain Capital, who has ties with Mitt Romney. Uh, El Elder Brett Nielsen is a cousin of Elder Haight. Elder Rasbend of the Twelve was the CEO of Huntsman Chemical, and his VP, uh, Elder Ringwood, became a 70. Some other things, uh, there was nepotism in multiple churches, including the Catholic Church. For example, uh, Pope Paul III appointed two of his nephews as cardinals when they were ages 14 and 16. Since then, in the canon law, they prohibited nepotism, and there's really no nepotism in the Catholic Church in modern times. But, as an example too, Brigham Young, he ordained his 11-year-old son, John Willard Young, as an apostle. And... And some may justify this by saying there was nepotism in the Bible, where Jesus' brother, James, was in the leadership. There were also James and John, who were brothers. But also you have to read in James chapter 2, verse 9, that when it talks about respecting people, that's favoritism, and it's considered a sin. Also in 1 Timothy 5.21, it talks about having no partiality. So any religious organization that believes in the Bible should know that nepotism is considered a sin. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a lot of information, but like, how did you find all that information? Um, that's the thing. I just Googled. There are all these people who are way smarter than me that put a lot more time and effort into this. And I just took screenshots of stuff that was out there. And then I would go and, you know, honestly, I didn't verify every single one, but I would go ver try to verify a few of them. And after I got you know, consistently good information, then I would just kind of believe the rest of it. That's not very scientific of me, but, but, um, again, I ask people if they know otherwise, or if any, let's talk a little bit about nepotism and let me know. Um, and you know, Nemo did a nepotism video too. That was much better than, than mine, but I just kind of just vomited all this information into this one little short video. Um, but one of the big things is I would get some comments of TBMs who would I ask, you know, so what's what's the big deal? You know, what what's so wrong with having some nepotism in the church? And, you know, I listed a couple of those things about how it just insulates the people. And you just everyone just starts to refer to each other. But then one of the things I was thinking of is um, when how I mentioned that it formed the people form allegiances to each other rather than what is right or good. And the first thing that came to my mind was um, all the problems with hiding sexual abuse in the LDS church. Yeah. And when you have a bunch of people, a bunch of leadership that is more loyal to, they're more loyal to each other rather than a victim or a problem, then yeah, you can see why this would be, Fertile, fertile ground for for problems like that yeah and and i think um it's a boys club you it's not what you know it's who you know and yeah who saw you in what light i think that a lot of the time you know you can rise in the ranks as long as you keep the shiny exterior shiny um and you're in the right place at the right time you know oh if, yeah if, if you want to rise in the church, go 
um, you know, moved to the Utah Valley and start dating a general authority's like niece or something like that and go to family dinners, be the cookie cutter return missionary and you'll get there. And you can rise in the ranks. Yeah. And because it's not just family. Like one example I have was uh, Elder Rasband was, I think, president, CEO of Huntsman Chemical. And one of his vice presidents was Elder Ringwood, and he is now a 70. So just stuff like that. Yeah. Well, uh, Tom Trails makes a good point here. He says, righteous pre-existent spirits are born into families of righteous pre-existent spirits. Um, that's why they choose their own family, because their own family are the most righteous in the pre-existence, <laughs> which that's is just twisted. Horrible. So, I mean, that almost says there are no righteous pre-existent spirits that were born into Africa or South America or Asia. Well. But no, Spencer W. Kimball, didn't he say that they were the disobedient spirits or the less valiant spirits? There you go. So they can't be church leaders. Um, yeah. And and the church would never accept that now, but they still do it. It's, it's like still in black and white. We're not polygamous, but we've all got several uh, eternal wives. So, yeah, it's double speak, double speak. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's see part two of nepotism. This is part two, looking at nepotism in the Mormon church. Uh, first off, feel free to fact check me. If I'm wrong about any of this, I apologize. But even if half of this stuff is, is right, that's still way too much. Also, the pictures will not correlate with what I'm saying. It's just more examples for you to read over when you like. So saying that, let's how about, uh, let's do a few more examples. President Hinckley uh, had a daughter who married into the Huntsman billionaire family, uh, had a son who was in the 70, and also a daughter in the Young Women's General Presidency. President Monson had a daughter in the Young Women's General Presidency. Uh, Julie Beck, former General Relief Society president, um, was the daughter of William Grant Bangeter, who was in the presidency of the 70, and who was the older brother of Norman Bangeter, the former governor of Utah. President Benson also has a great-grandfather who is an apostle. So pretty much everyone knows that nepotism is a bad thing. But for some reason, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints kind of give it a pass. Um, and why is that? If you were, if there was nepotism at your job, you probably would not say, oh yeah, my boss must have raised great kids. That's why his sons are all now promoted above me. They're just such an awesome family. They deserve it. That wouldn't happen. If that happened at my job, there would be an outcry and probably an investigation. Um, how about some more examples? President Kimball, grandfather, was an apostle to Joseph Smith himself. Bruce R. McConkie, um, younger brother, uh, Oscar McConkie, who is the president of the Utah State Senate, founder of Kenton McConkie Law. Uh, also, there are two sons in that practice, and uh, Kenton McConkie represents the church in many of its legal matters. Uh, elder Clayton was the brother of another elder, Clayton, who was in the presidency of the 70. And, and so in nepotism, like I said before, the Catholic Church has basically stopped it. Uh, even many Christian churches, there are specific written policies against it. Why not the LDS Church? Um, it seems like the Mormon church is behind the times and they do not seem inspired and does not seem to be receiving revelation in regards to nepotism. If the church is really growing in strength and numbers, why the continued nepotism? Why not call one of these supposedly great converts from this large pool to be leaders? 
nepotism is harmful and the church should know about that because everybody else seems to know this is part two awesome uh i'm going to say that after every video because it is i'm going to try not to say that again this evening <laughs> but yeah it's just so bad like you can see in okay so if you work in a big company and you're there and there's uh, a job going like someone above you a team leader job and you know that you want it but you also know that the the boss has got three sons who don't work there but one of them's coming up to the point in his life where he needs a job and then that unqualified son comes in and takes the job that you really wanted that you were qualified for and that you really wanted think about how annoying that is that he got there just because he was the boss's son and the boss needed to give him some work. It's unreal. Oh, yeah. um, it's so annoying. <sighs> and people get in trouble. I, I've read stories from like some Christian churches where I think it's one of like the minister's son who worked there had a problem with like internet porn or something like that. But he just got basically a hand slap and slap on the wrist and but was able to still keep his job. And so there was a big uproar amongst the congregation because, it, yeah, it's it's harmful. It screws up your priorities and um, and it's it's um, alive and well in Mormonism. Yeah, I think the other problem that you touched on earlier with the abuse and different things is that if we idolize these families, you know, if we idolize President Nelson's family as being all the most righteous ones, because he's, you know, if, if you go by the system of the most righteous are sent to the most righteous, then all of his children must be the most righteous. And then when the news comes out that his daughter and husband have a case against him in Idaho for child abuse or something like that, mm -hmm. it's kind of the church will try and push that down because of the PR and they'll try and defend the indefensible is sometimes so we'll start a worldwide social media fast that week <laughs> is that yeah. what they did yeah, supposedly there's that rumor when something was going on with i think president nelson's daughter and it was in the news that week and that's the same time where he called for social media fast oh, of course he did such so, a, such a i don't know is it causation versus just oh, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Okay. Let's take a look. Right. This one blew me away because I've never heard this argument or point made before about the apostles. So let's let's hear it. The Mormon church claims to be led by apostles who are continuously replaced after they die. Mormonism claims this is the restored original church established by Jesus with the very same organization. But is that really how the early church was led? To be one of the original 12 apostles, they had to have been with Jesus from the beginning and stayed faithful to him. That's how Matthias was chosen after Judas died. The apostles chose bishops to lead the various churches. Lists of those bishops and their successors are well documented for over 2,000 years. But what's not in all that record keeping of early Christianity? Apostles. The apostles were not replaced when they died. They were not meant to be a continuous office, especially since they had to have known Jesus. Now, Mormons will say there was a great apostasy and the line of apostles was lost. So how could that have happened? So maybe number one, maybe new apostles were called, 
but every bit of documentation and all the Mediterranean world was lost, even if they did get all those bishops for two millennia correct. Number two, maybe the Roman Empire was so surgically precise that they were able to kill every apostle exactly before calling new apostles. Uh, how about scenario number three? Um, then maybe every single one of the original 12 apostles were apostates, and they were the cause of the great apostasy because they didn't pass on their apostolic mantles. And option number four, and the most likely explanation, is that the prophet Joseph Smith just made it all up. Yes, he just made it all up. Yeah, so there have been some, yeah, I've been studying a little bit more of trying to, a little bit more of the early church, because that's the claim of Mormonism, is the same organization that existed in the primitive church. And every, every time I look at something, it's not true at all. And everyone cries, oh yeah, great apostasy. But for so much of what's out there, um, that apostasy would have had to have started the minute Jesus died in order for that to really be true. And this is just one, one example, because all this, uh, the, the leadership from, uh, right from the original apostles. Yeah. All that is very well documented in multiple places, but no mention of apostles. People will bring up Paul saying, yeah, Paul was an apostle, but technically, um, they always call Paul, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles. So like not exactly one of the 12 apostles. Um, but then after that, there's nothing, nothing that I've I've seen or been able to find. Yeah, I guess as a missionary teaching the apostasy, the way that I'd have gone with it would have been that, oh, they all just died at once. And then and then that was it. Nothing else happened. You know, the Catholic Church, well, they they came along later, you know, but as you've shown, there is uh, a succession going on all the way through. And yeah, it's. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's an interesting argument that the apostles could only be apostles if they were with Jesus in his his life. So once they ran out of people that were alive with Jesus at the time to be apostles, then we just had bishops, right? Yeah, that office was done and they assigned those bishops and then those bishops, bishops were supposed to um, lead the church in, in their respective areas. And then that was well documented, whoever each bishop after they would die one by one for almost 2000 years. Um, there's actually another video I did about something called the Didache and mm -hmm. what that also is kind of similar. And what that is, it's, it's basically the LDS church is established claiming to be, um, just like the primitive church. But then in the 1870s, I think they, they found this document, the Didache, which is almost like a handbook for how the early church was run. And it is dated to the very first century AD. And it is nothing like the, uh, the LDS church. They have the prayers for how they do communion or the sacrament, nothing like it. Um, rules about prayer, fasting, totally dissimilar. So again, and that was evidence that came out after the rest, quote unquote, restoration of the LDS church. So wow. one more piece of evidence that yeah. it's not true. It doesn't shock me, but that's a new one on me. So I thought that was great. Um, let's take a look. Claims oh, to be led by not a that one again. 
technology. Okay, the narcissistic Mormon church. This one, I've heard it before, but it's explained here really well. If anyone has ever been in a relationship with a narcissist, um, then you will recognize this as being, yeah, the church down to a T. I'd like to talk about how being in the Mormon church is being in a relationship with a narcissist. Right off the bat, I'm no psychologist, but I've been using as a resource Dr. Les Carter, and you can see him on YouTube and his TikTok videos. But first, as you read the characteristics of a narcissist, the Mormon church checks off so many boxes. So for example, here are a few. They can't admit mistakes. They say it's divine, or, uh, but they even admit to not ever apologizing for things. Uh, they give unsolicited advice. They have an agenda, lots of have-tos and shoulds, over and beyond normal religion. Narcissists will nurse idolized fantasies and associate with the best people, like people with pioneer heritage and professional athletes, successful, the rich, they're all bragged about. Narcissists are willing to lie and keep secrets. We see that over and over in the church. Um, there are veiled threats, and sometimes there are overt threats, like where will you go? There are extremes in money management. They'll fire all the janitors and make members clean the chapels when they're worth more than Walmart. Narcissists have a poor comprehension of love and do love bombing all the time. Mormons are notorious for going all out with love bombing, with cookies and invitations, etc. And also they have no respect for boundaries. Mm -hmm. So some of us are victims of narcissists in the form of the Mormon church, but it's much worse. Um, being raised and taught by narcissists, uh, two things happened. I took on narcissist traits myself. And number two, interacting with the narcissist church had a negative impact on my psychological and emotional well-being. So people who deal with narcissists can develop a number of things. Number one, you become a reactor. In resisting the narcissist, we become unhealthy. They, that assertiveness gives way to unhealthy anger and unregulated anger. Defensiveness is triggered too often. Um, also, we still validate ourselves according to their grading system. And lastly, as we appeased the narcissist, we erased good boundaries ourselves. Does this sound familiar? This is what happens to so many who deal with narcissists and who have relationships with narcissists like the church. I see it in myself and so many in the ex-Mormon community. There's a reason why those who leave can't leave it alone. Many of us are leaving a narcissistic church, uh, narcissistic leaders, and even family and friends. To really leave Mormonism, I know I have to rid myself of the narcissism I was taught and the narcissism I reacted to. Then I'll be free. Wish me luck. Good luck. It's just painful. And that's one of it's and you know, that was one of my big one of the many big realizations I had leaving the church is yeah, it's easy to call the Mormon church a big narcissist and point the finger and say, Yeah, that's that's you. But the, when you're knee deep in Mormonism, you I well, I can only speak for me. I took on some of those characteristics. Yeah, yeah. I was I got big headed, nar very much narcissistic, but then you know, and I, you know, this is all just kind of reading and listening to this guy's podcast and reading some additional articles. But the other big surprising thing is just having to deal with a narcissist 
and developing those reactions and coping mechanisms, like being that reactor, like we form this pattern of reacting to a narcissist and that doesn't go away when the narcissist disappears, that's still hardwired. And so it's not just getting rid of the narcissist, but it's yeah, getting rid of the narcissist in ourselves and how we reacted. And that is, that is rough. Yeah. And I think one, one thing that you mentioned there that kind of stuck out to me was the boundaries thing and mm -hmm. not just the, the love bombing, which just goes over so many boundaries anyway, when you get somewhere new and they just show up. I remember moving house um, to somewhere like 200 miles away. We pulled up in the vans and on the front lawn of the house, it was great. There was like 30 people there to help us unload, but then there were 30 people I'd never met in my life just walking through my new house with all of my belongings and just kind of breaking things and being really nosy about the new members in the ward. And yeah, it was just, it was really weird. And there were so many boundaries that just weren't even there because, well, we're just showing love and this is how we do it. Um, so, yeah. Well, and another example that I've heard multiple times is um, you'll have a family who hasn't gone to church in a while, doesn't plan on going to church. And then you get the primary president showing up and say, Hey, your, your daughter's about to turn eight. We want to come in and give her a book of Mormon and bring her yeah. to primary. And, and then if you flip that around and say, Hey, um, I'm coming over to the primary president's house and I'm going to give her 12 year old son, the CES letter, just, just wanted to drop this by and yeah, you know, I mean, it's just just overstepping those boundaries. It's uh, yeah. especially when you flip it around, you see how how ridiculous it is. Well, that's the thing. I uh, and I'm sure many ex Mormons have this exact problem. It's the dreaded family chat, whether it's like a WhatsApp page or Facebook Messenger. A lot of families have this kind of chat function where everyone can just talk or share their news, you know, and it just goes to everyone. Mm -hmm. And the amount of times that people will say, um, you know, oh, I, I felt this about Jesus today, or I felt this and that. But if I go on there, and I have before, and voiced my concerns in opposition to it, oh, I'm in trouble, you know, yeah. or, on a, or on your Facebook page, you put something up there, but they'll put up, like, like the world, hear him and, and do all that, and they see no problem with it. They're just like, no, it's, it's a one-way boundary. Absolutely, you know, one-way street, yeah. I can't send anything in their direction, but they can send everything they want in mine. Absolutely. Um, so just want to say big up to Tom Trails for the $20, and he says he's been on TikTok and found Mormon Flesh Wound and followed him. So, yeah, Tom Trails, well done. Everyone else, do that too after the show. Um, but let's see where we get to after narcissism. I'd like to talk about oh, how being in the that's going to keep happening. <laughs> so this is I thought this was a great example that you've put together on the narcissism about the church's kind of um, how much Jesus it is and how much ch church it is. Let's see the video. Over the past few years, I thought I noticed a trend in general conference and church in general. It seems that Christian value topics were being replaced by topics related to devotion to the church. 
So I went onto the church website and looked at general conference topics over the past 15 years. I divided things into two categories. First, uh, like a Jesus category that's in blue that are things like forgiveness, honesty, gratitude. Then there was a church category in orange that were related to church callings, leaders, ordinances, and worthiness. And as you can see, the Jesus topics in blue have been on a steady decline while the orange church topics have been increasing more and more. There's a little decrease in those church topics in the past couple of years, um, but if you really look back and look at the new lingo about the ongoing restoration, it shoots right back up. So people are just not talking about Wow. I'd like um, to talk about technology got me there again. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this graph. Yeah. It, it, so 2005 to 2010-ish, it was kind of uh, backwards and forwards, but then there is a large kind of uptick um, around 2012. Where, yeah, big separation, yeah. Yeah, the church and Jesus kind of go their separate ways. And I think I think President Nelson is trying to bring that back, but the problem with that is, if it's if all you need is Jesus, why do you need the church? Yeah, and that's that was one of the things when I was looking at the the data, and you look at the orange line towards the end where there's that dip down, mm-hmm. and that is right around when President Nelson took over, and the thing is, is when he took over the terminology changed. That's when you start getting ongoing restoration thrown around and covenant path thrown around. Yeah. And when you put those numbers in, it skyrockets straight up that whole church thing versus the Jesus thing. And I mean, some of it, people who are older remember, at least with me, I remember in church constantly in Sunday school, it was stories about, Hey, tell the truth. You know, be nice, help the old lady across the street, all these kind of moral, be nice type of lessons and in sacrament meeting as well. But now it's just hammered into people, stay on the covenant path, blah, yeah. blah, blah, loyalty to the church. And it's, it's maddening. Yeah. But isn't it funny how they go through stages of really kind of hammering something? So in my youth, it was all about journal keeping. <laughs> you know, we're a record keeping people, keep your journals, keep your journals. And then obviously when some of those youth grew up to be GAs, the journals weren't very helpful. So we don't talk about journals anymore. But I remember you'd always be given one of them blue um journals. Have I got one here? Um yeah, one of these. Yeah. Standard Mormon blue journal. Um, oh, yeah. and you know, I'd fill it. So but now we're not a record keeping people. We don't do that because we don't want records of our mistakes in the past. Oh, the church gets in so much trouble. All these old general authorities with their journals, you read through some of, well, that's, I think that's one of the other upcoming videos is William Clayton's journal. Yeah. They've been, they've been burned. So, so don't don't anymore. Well, the other interesting one, 10 years or so ago, you'd guarantee that at general conference, there would be some talk of pornography and masturbation. That was constant when I was growing up. Priesthood yeah. session, sitting there with my dad and my buddies yeah. on a Saturday night. And it was it was always at least one or two talks during, yeah. during that. 
hey, I think that's where most Mormon young men learn what masturbation is, you know, at priesthood session or in young men's, <laughs> because where else do you hear it? You know what I mean? Um, they they just, yeah, they used to hammer it. But these days, they've obviously realized that it turns people off. No <laughs> pun intended. Okay. Um, see where Over we... Over the past few years. Sorry, guys. This technology is going to... I'm going to get used to it. The Mormon cult. So we've we've been through the leadership. We've realized that they're not actually um, apostles, according to the biblical um, description as such. Uh, we know that they like to talk about themselves as narcissists and not about Jesus. And now, because they are narcissists and they worship um, Joseph, and Russell and Nelson, we could classify them as a cult. Let's take a look. I have a few random thoughts about cults, and many have labeled the Mormon Church as a cult. And there are many uh, entities that have compiled lists of cult characteristics, uh, like the Freedom of Mind Resource Center and the Bite Model of Authoritarian Control. Um, and there's also, for example, the International Cultic Studies Association, which has done extensive research into cults and and their characteristics. But I think there is a range of how culty an entity is, from destructive cults that result in murder or mass suicide to the more benign cults. In my opinion, the complexity of the Mormon church is that there are layers of cultic activity or cults within cults, in addition to the spectrum of severity. For example, that outer layer of the church, the church demands unquestioning obedience. It dictates life decisions. Um, tells you where and how to spend your money, um, and tells you not to look at outside sources for information. Um, you go in a layer to missions. Mission rules vary widely from mission to mission as to types of music the missionaries are allowed to listen to, goals, how to spend your time, how to work. We know one young man uh, where their mission, uh, they didn't allow floral ties. And for that reason and one one other reason, he was sent home. The mission president wouldn't have it. Uh, in the stake level two, there are indexing goals, temple attendance requirements. In Gilbert, Arizona, there's one stake president that said all women have to wear stockings to church. And this was not that long ago. This was eight or nine years ago. There are some families also that can have culty uh, ideas. Uh, some will rarely have family home evenings, while others will have formal, multi-generational family home evenings with testimonies every week. Some families say you have to wear church clothes all day on Sundays. Then there are individuals who won't eat chocolate or, or are only become vegetarians because of what the, their personal interpretation of what the Word of Wisdom says. Now, I feel that every member of the Mormon Church has been exposed to varying degrees of cult characteristics on multiple levels. Many benign, some destructive, and at times even contradicting. Regardless, I think this has an additive effect. Absorbing cultish, uh, cultish teachings from prophets, mission presidents, state presidents, bishops, youth leaders, family, and making up your own self-imposed cult beliefs, they stack up and weigh on a person. That is so true. I've never thought of it that way, that there are cults within cults within cults. Because yeah, it's, yeah, it's every, not consistent in in the church. Every, everywhere you go, everyone has a different rule, different culture. Every I mean, you've moved to different wards, and I'm sure you've had yeah 
some wards will emphasize one thing over another. Yeah. No, and, and the different rules, because it's, it's very much, so a cult controls everything, every part of your life. And the church on a whole has a lot of rules that are controlled. But then, as you say, in your missions, those rules are interpreted in different ways. And then extra rules are added, like the floral tie thing. And then in wards, they might be interpreted slightly different again. And then extra rules are added according to who the bishop is. And then in families, depending who the head of the house is. And I remember, you know, there was no, for us, you had to keep your church clothes on and there was no TV on a Sunday and you couldn't mm -hmm. go out to the outside on a Sunday and play. Uh, but then my friend in primary, he watched TV all Sunday in his pajamas. And yeah, the only difference was he went to church in the morning. <laughs> so yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And um, some people ask, I mentioned that missionary who got sent home for the floral tie and, and there's one, I mentioned one other thing. The other thing was he um, had some mild scoliosis. So he had to wear his backpack a little differently and put it over, I think just one shoulder instead of two or something oh like that. Gosh. And that was the other rule he broke. And he was, he was tough. He stood up to the mission president and he had the, he had the, uh, um, backing of his family and he got the boot. They sent him home without his luggage. They just sent him home straight away. That's unreal. Um, I, had, I had an experience on my mission. Um, so for people that have watched the show before, they'll know that sister PD and me have been together since I was 16. And she gave me like a Joseph Smith ring, you know, the one that had like the oval on it. Um, that Joseph Smith apparently wore. It was a replica. And I wore that as a missionary. And I used to wear it on my wedding finger, which, you know, it was just where I wore it. But then there was a general authority coming to um, visit the mission. And I was his own leader. We were in this meeting and we had to meet with, it was Elders Wick. We had to meet with him first with the mission president and all the zone leaders. And I was sat next to him. He was just sat to my left here at the head of the table. And I'd moved the ring because I thought, oh, I don't want him commenting on it. So I was a bit self-conscious. So I'd moved it to my thumb. Oh, my gosh, that was even worse. <laughs> um, you know, he started listing things that he wasn't happy with. One of them, he's like, why? Elders shouldn't be wearing thumb rings. And I'm like, dude. And then he's like, um, and all of your ties, the fashion at the time was to have a really big Windsor knot. And he commented on, I think it was President Hinckley and the Brethren, they'd always got these tiny little knots and apostolic dimples. And he said, all of your ties should look like that. So before, when our little meeting ended, before um, he could meet with the rest of the missionaries, we all had to rush back into the chapel and get all of our elders to untie their ties and tie them as tight as they could with tiny little knots before he could come in. And you're like, man, that's just stupid. And then you'll go to, or some other general authority will come and say something different and you're going to have to adjust. And it's, and that's why I was saying this just weighs on people when you get all these different little cult within cult uh, opinions and people will have scriptures to back it up. And then, cult. yeah, it just, it's going to drive people nuts. Drove me nuts. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it is. It's, it's, it's total beer. Yeah. 